All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is also in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And we like to remind you each and every week that we have a special introductory first-time, one-time-only trial for each of those newsletters. And call my assistant, Claudio Bassi, in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Or you can go to miningstocks.com uh, to sign up directly for our newsletters. Uh, I'd like to tell you also that the best website to go to to access this show and virtually everything that I do is jtaylormedia.com. That's jaytaylormedia.com. I'd like to also just put in a plug for Chen Lin, who is doing an excellent job. He's actually uh, vacationing right now in Europe, uh, but he is uh, his portfolio, uh, the one that we track uh, for his wife's IRA, has done exceedingly well. Uh, the ad investment started out with five thousand four hundred dollars in two thousand and two, uh, and uh, two thousand three in January, and just uh, went over two million dollars at the end of last month. So congratulations to Chen, and he is passing on uh, his ideas about how you can profit uh, in the stock market and uh, mostly in the stock market uh, at uh, his through his newsletter. What is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? So you might want to give that a try. He has. Uh, uh, some a few top picks that are really doing very well, and in fact, this past week, a couple of uh, Canada's top fund managers chose uh, Mart Resources as their uh, number one uh, picks this past week. So Mart Resources is one example of a stock that has done exceedingly well, but there are quite a few others in Chen's portfolio that have done extremely well. Well, I should also mention that you can follow me on Twitter under the handle J Taylor Media. J Taylor Media. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Manganese, Arroway Energy, Clifton Star Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Gold Rich Mining Company, and Prodigy Gold. Well, the big question that we want to ponder today is whether or not reality economics can overcome capitalism. The word capitalism has crept into this show thanks to Gene Epstein, who writes the economic beat for uh, Barron's. Uh, and this weekend, when I was visiting my mother and brothers in Ohio, my baby brother, Edwin, who helps me with this show, said something like, Jay, you have been using that word capitalism a lot lately. Don't you think it's a bit much? 
And then he joked. He said, Jay, when are you going to stop capitalizing on that word? Well, I did get a chuckle out of it, but frankly, it isn't really such a joke. I think Gene Epstein's word to describe what is normally called crony capitalism is, ac- is exactly accurate to describe the ugliness of what has been happening to Americans and to citizens around the world. Through propaganda, state-owned education, corporate-owned media, Americans are step-by-step having their liberty taken away from them under the guise of safety and prosperity. We are being fed one lie after another. Let me give you just one small example of what I mean by the propaganda machine of the U.S. military-industrial complex uh, and our ruling elite. One Sunday when my wife and I were going through uh, the security at Cleveland Airport, I noticed a screen, uh, a television screen, that was telling travelers that they had nothing to worry about going through the x-ray machinery at the Cleveland Airport. At that exact time, a pilot who travels probably several times a week opted out of the x-ray process. As a pilot, he did not want to go through the ordeal of a pat-down. He didn't need to do that either. But he wasn't going to go through the x-ray machine, and in talking to other flight professionals, I was told they all tried to avoid the x-ray. They opt out whenever at all possible because the radiation time after time simply is dangerous. I was told by another friend of mine who works in the medical research profession that she always opts for a pat-down rather than go through the x-ray machine because, in her words, the radiation you get is a 100 times greater than what you get in the dentist office. And according to what I have read, the, uh, uh, the technology, which is uh, from Chertoff, uh, who was uh, in the Bush administration, was exactly the same technology that was taken out of the California prisons before 9-11 because of the ill effects it will have on your health over time. But we're, of course, all subjected to it now uh, for the sake of our safety, supposedly. But I think that's just one example of what I think is adequately and rightly called capitalism. A person with corporate ties to government gets his technology used, that is uh, Mr. Chertoff, gets his technology used and he makes a profit from it without allowing the free market to choose which is the best product. And because of his connections, uh, competition was not allowed to take place to let markets decide that uh, which was the best product. Not only does that likely mean that uh, taxpayers and travelers are going to pay more to travel uh, and for this uh, service, but it is also apparently damaging to the health of travelers, at least those who travel frequently. And to try to to deceive travelers so that they cooperate with uh, this money-grubbing scam, uh, the TSA indoctrinates travelers with a slick video that tries to convince everybody that they should just be quiet and go uh, go along with the program. So you can call that crony capitalism, if you like, or you can call it crapitalism. I think crapitalism is a better word for it because it is crap. But actually, I think both words are too mild for what is going on because, more accurately, what I just described is just one of many examples of fascist economics in America. We have lost a system of free market capitalism, or what our first guest today, Michael McKay, calls reality economics, to a system that rewards people not on the basis of their merits as judged by the free market, but rather, as Luigi Zingales pointed out a couple of weeks back, we are moving into a system much like the Italian paternalism that caused him to leave Italy for America, where he has been able to rise according to his 
uh, to his talents and hard work. Why has America slipped from the ideals of her founding fathers, which uh, was limited, which was for a limited government and optimal happiness for its citizens to a country that looks much more like countries throughout history these days, uh, that is much more like fascism and communism? Why are we looking every day more like that instead of what Jefferson, Madison, Franklin, and Washington bequeathed us? For some answers to that, we will talk to Michael McKay, who has been a very successful investor and proponent of free market capitalism. Michael is appalled by the erosion of our personal freedoms, as I'm sure you'll be able to tell from our discussion. If there is one politician, of course, who stands out and stands in the way of uh, in the way of uh, this existing capitalistic system, it is Ron Paul. So I'm looking forward to speak with one of Ron Paul's top presidential campaign advisors. Doug Weed. He'll be with us at approximately 4 o'clock this afternoon. I hope to ask Mr. Weed why Ron Paul has not prevailed despite his enormous popularity and the huge amount of money he raised from grassroots donors. We'll ask, also ask Mr. Weed some things about his views of the upcoming presidential election, which will presumably be between uh, the incumbent President Obama and Mitt Romney. We were supposed to hear from Chris Cooper of Airway Energy and from Bill Shara of Goldrich Mining today, but unfortunately neither of these gentlemen were able to join us on the show today, but I do expect to have uh, them join us sometime in the near future. And I do have some time to comment on both companies after we take a commercial break uh, in just a few minutes here. Both of those companies are now, in fact, recommendations of my newsletter and uh, I hope uh, after we come back from the break, as I said, to tell you and explain why I like both of those companies. Uh, one thing I do want to say before we do go to break, and um, my engineer is telling me we have a couple of minutes left here, is that I remain extremely bullish on gold mining, and I remain bullish on gold mining because I believe we are remaining in a massive deflationary uh, implosion globally. And the news that came out this day about another company that has taken segregated funds and gambled them away, uh, leaving people apparently uh, set to lose a huge amount of money, uh, their lifetime savings, is another example of this hugely over-levered global economy. And I think that the leverage is so great that there's no escaping this implosion right now. And as I speak to you now, I'm looking at the screen and I'm realizing that we are now seeing a Dow that's down more than 100 points. The NASDAQ is down 33. The S&P is down nearly 13. Gold is down. Um, 10-year bond is down. Oil. Everything is red on the screen today, folks. I'm, I'm very fearful that we are heading into a very massive credit deflation uh, that is going to take the nominal prices of things down very, very significantly. But here is the key word, nominal. What we are seeing ever since this credit deflation started to get underway is a huge increase in the real price of gold. And I'm looking at a chart now that shows the gold price relative to the Rogers Raw Materials Fund, and it is on a very significant, steady uptrend. From 17% before Lehman Brothers in July of 2008 until March of 2009, it went from 17% before the Lehman crash to 44% by March of 2009, recently hit almost 50%, backed off a bit now, uh, and at about 44.5%. But the point is that an ounce of gold during this credit implosion is growing very dramatically, and it's growing because people have confidence in what people have through 
generations and decades and millennium have had confidence in gold because it is nature's money. It has all of the attributes that have caused the free markets to choose money. We've been forced to use dollars uh, with the threat of armed force by our government. Uh, totally un, un, uh, un-American in terms of what our founding fathers wished for us, what they fought for us. Uh, and we are about to pay one heck of a price for our betrayal of the free markets. Yet the conventional wisdom insists that we continue on. My engineers are insisting that we take a commercial break now. So when we come back, I'll have some more to say about the markets and a couple of my uh, picks that uh, I have recently talked. I want to talk to you about a couple of our sponsors and a couple of other companies that I've recently talked about in my newsletter. Don't go away. I'll be right back. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network arrowway energy is an oil focused canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the peace river arch region of northern alberta canada with a land base of over 28,000 hectares surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as birchcliff energy and shell canada Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the Duparquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. Prodigy Gold is transitioning from gold explorer to mine developer. We are well-funded. Located in stable eastern Canada, the Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year, strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway, and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www.prodigygold.com. ProdigyGold.com and read more. Prodigy Gold. Today's discovery, tomorrow's future. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. 
you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I just wanted to say a couple of words uh, yet about uh, this, what I call the gold bull market of a lifetime. Uh, and I say that based on the wisdom of Bob Hoy, who's been a guest on the show in the past. Bob has talked about how when these major credit deflations take place, the real price of gold rises very dramatically. And I listened to Bob before Lehman Brothers, and I was watching the real price of gold, and I started measuring it as uh, compared to the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. And lo and behold, just what I told you a few moments ago, the price, the purchasing power of gold tripled. It went from 17% uh, to 44% in just a few short months after the credit implosion got underway. Uh, and so this, uh, Bob Hoy has gone back and looked at the last 300 years, and he says that this is the sixth major credit implosion over the last 300 years. And each and every case, we had a 15 to 20-year period of time in which the real gold price rose uh, dramatically, and that paved the way then for profits for the gold mining industry and capital to flow into the gold mining industry. So we're seeing the same thing play out once again. Uh, and thank you, Bob Hoy, for bringing that insight to me. It's really been very helpful. But as I look at the major gold mining companies that I follow, uh, in for this purpose alone, I don't have any of these companies in my uh, newsletter right now because I think the, the juniors are where the big profits are going to be made, the companies that are finding significant deposits that are very large relative to their market cap. Those are the companies that are going to make a lot of money for their uh, for their shareholders. But we look at the companies like Agnigo Legal, Angle Gold, Barrett, Goldfields, Gold Corp, Kinross Gold, Newmont, Yamana Gold. And in 2008, the year of Lehman Brothers, collectively their earnings were $6.30. Last year, 2011, they were $20.50. So they went from $6.30 to $20.50, the collective per share earnings of that group of seven major gold mining companies. So the profits of the gold producers, the big guys, are really outstanding. Uh, and this is going to trickle down to the smaller companies, uh, I believe, that find the gold deposits. And there is no reason to believe that this bull market is anywhere near the end. It could be over quickly if the policymakers allowed the markets to prevail. We would have equilibrium reestablished very quickly. We'd have massive amounts of unemployment quickly. Uh, and lots of bankrupt companies quickly instead of slowly, the slow Chinese water torture that we're going through now with a constant meddling in the markets. But that's not going to happen. I think it's pretty safe to say that the policymakers will keep things going the way they are as long as they can because they're profiting from the establishment from the status quo. So, uh, you know, Mr. Bernanke, though, the issue, the thing that's important to realize is that as the markets are demanding gold as money, and they are, and we're seeing it creep into, uh, we're seeing it creep into the uh, monetary system slowly but surely, and I expect uh, that Mr. McKay will talk about that this afternoon uh, later uh, um, after we come to break, after we have our next break, we'll be talking to Michael McKay, and I think he'll have some things to say about how gold is actually creeping into the monetary system. The thing is, when the markets 
lose confidence in paper and demand gold, Mr. Bernanke won't be able to print gold. It takes an awful lot of work to dig gold out of the ground to create new money, money supply, which the markets will demand if we go back to a gold-backed system, which I think we're going to do. Lewis Lehrman, who was on this show some time ago, is absolutely convinced it's going to happen. John Butler gave some very good reasons why it's inevitable, why we're going to go to a gold-backed system again. The markets, simply, it boils down to confidence, people losing confidence in paper. So I remain extremely bullish on gold and and believe uh, that gold will prevail. Of course, the question is, will we be able to keep our profits? Will we be able to keep the wealth that we had the insights to to earn? And that is, of course, a big question. The problem that we are facing in America is that we are now a country that is losing its tradition of being a country of law. We have now a uh, an ends justifies the means, as any dictatorship has, in which the policymakers decide uh, that they can, uh, that they are above the law and they can choose what to do. And so we have a president of the United States now who uh, takes the liberty to decide who to kill without a trial. And uh, this is indeed very frightening. And if, if the president of the United States can decide on his own without any oversight who to uh, send one of his drones after, then uh, one has to wonder how safe is anything? How safe is our private property? And as Ilana Mercer pointed out, and many other people on this guest on this show have pointed out, private property is the safeguard of our liberty and our freedom. If you start to take away private property, you can kiss liberty and freedom goodbye. Not only that, as Elena Mercer pointed out, your very safety becomes an issue, as it has in South Africa post-apartheid when they have gotten rid of private property. Well, enough editorializing. Let me give you a few ideas about some of the companies that I have been talking about in my newsletter. One of them, uh, and this is an energy company, and I don't have that many energy companies because I am truly very, very bullish on gold. That is really where I have most of my own portfolio and where I suggest in my hypothetical model portfolio that my subscribers put their money. But uh, if we, uh, one of the companies, Arrowway Energy, and Chris Cooper was going to be on the show today, but in fact uh, requested that he do the interview sometime later, because uh, they're going to have a new reserve calculation. He had thought that they would have it by now, but it's been delayed a bit. So Chris will be coming on our show to talk about the new reserve calculation. But this is a little company that I like very much because it is a very small market cap, 54.3 million shares outstanding, trades on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol ARW. You can buy it in the United States under the symbol ARWJF. Uh, it earned six cents per share over the first nine months of this year, uh, for 53 cents. It's not too bad. Uh, nice earnings. But the, what I like about it is it's on a growth, uh, it's really in a growth mode. The company is planning, uh, actually should be increasing production very significantly, uh, as we go forward, uh, in, into this year. I think it's something like 850 barrels of, uh, of oil equivalent a day. And I'm looking for my notes now, but it's going to be up to something like 1,200 barrels of oil uh, equivalent per day uh, at uh, by the end of this year is the projections the company is making. Uh, they have a lot of advantages that, that really, I think, convinced me that this is a company that's going to grow. And I think uh, it could very well be a takeover target as well in the not-too-distant future. So I like this one a lot, and I just recently added it to my newsletter. It is currently selling at uh, $0.53 cents with good earnings. Uh, and uh, as one of the uh, one of the people at the company like to say, you know, we've 
uh, we've got cash, but we've got cash flow. And she tells me, uh, cash is, uh, cash is king, but cash flow is King Kong. I got a good laugh out of that one, but there's a lot of truth to it as well. Uh, also, uh, Gold Rich Mining was going to be with us today. Uh, this is a company that I recommended in my newsletter some time ago. It is uh, an example of uh, the in- this industry. A lot of times you have to be patient, and patience is certainly called for with Gold Rich Mining. But I do believe there are some reasons now to believe uh, that the next year or two could really see some dynamic growth for this company. It's selling at 12.5 cents only right now. It trades in the United States under the symbol GMRC, 95.5 million shares outstanding. I like the management team very much. It is uh, included in that management team is Richard Walters, who was a, a founder and the president of IM Gold. Uh, this is a company, uh, Bill Scherer, the president of the company, was also scheduled to come on this show today, but asked if he could come on later uh, in uh, in a couple of weeks from now because they are in the process of doing a financing, a significant financing that will allow them to drill what I believe could be one of the largest gold deposits uh, in the world. Of course, that remains to be seen, but I say that in part on the basis of one of the largest placer mining uh, projects uh, and deposits in the world, where lots of gold has been produced and which is being produced. And one of the positive aspects of this company is that they hired a professional placer mining company that is doing extremely well in establishing that operation up in Alaska this year. The company tried to do it on its own, uh, but it's a really tough thing to mine gold in a very short season in Alaska. And so what they've opted to do is give up 50% of the placer mining uh, profits and uh, hire somebody that really knows how to do that business. And so they've hired a private company, and they will get 50%. They'll, they'll split the profits 50-50 on the placer operations, but what Goldrich always had uh, in the back of its mind and what cr- attracted it to this property was the potential for finding a massive, very large-scale gold deposit. So uh, that is Goldrich Mining, GMRC, uh, 95.5 million shares outstanding, 12.5 cents, gives it a market cap of about $12 million. Patience is required. Uh, I don't expect too much to happen. The company could have some uh, placer uh, earnings at the end of this summer, uh, but for sure, I think next year is probably a safer bet. But uh, what could happen is we could see some good drill results this year because I believe Goldrich will be uh, will be uh, doing some drilling this year, and uh, and we will have, as I say, Bill Scherer will be with us uh, in the not too distant future to talk about the prospects of that company. I did recommend several other companies recently in my newsletter. Esperanza Resources uh, was one, uh, ES, uh, EPZ, uh, on the Toronto Exchange. That is really a favorite of mine. And Eurostar Gold Corporation, another one I like a lot, uh, URS also. And a lot of other things to talk to you about. So I hope you'll take advantage of our trial subscription and you can learn a lot more about what I'm thinking and writing about uh, in the junior mining space. Don't go away. We're going to be right back with Michael McKay. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused, Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the DuParquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelier Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. Prodigy Gold is transitioning from gold explorer to mine developer. We are well funded. Located in stable eastern Canada, the Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year. Strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www prodigygold.com and read more prodigy gold today's discovery tomorrow's future voice america business network the bottom line in business you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Michael McKay. Capping a 20-year career in sales to Fortune 100 companies, Michael founded Iowa Capital Management in 1994. ICM is an investment firm with an international clientele where he currently serves as chief economist and president. Michael has been a lifelong student of how the world works, and specifically what incentives and motivations cause people to choose to cooperate in harmony with each other or not to do so. This led led him to study the integration of economics, history, and law, and in particular, ethics, which uh, Michael considers the foundation of law and economics. 
It is Michael's thesis that together these form our human ecology. For the past decade, uh, Mr. McKay has studied and advocated reality economics. That's the term he coined for what academics call Austrian economics. Michael also founded and serves as host of RadioFreeMarket.com. Welcome, Michael, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. It's my great pleasure to be here, Jay. Really good to have you here. Um, reality economics, why the use of the term reality economics as opposed to Austrian economics, if that's really what it is? Well, the word uh, economics is not known by most people at all anyway, and um, the short answer is reality is not optional. And uh, basically, Austrian economics accurately describes how the world works. When I lecture about Austrian economics, the first thing I, I like to say is that economics is not a matter of opinion. It is a matter of just understanding how the world really works. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, that I, I absolutely believe you're right about that. But if the real, if the world really works and is described by reality economics or Austrian economics, why is it that we pay so little attention? Why is it that students are not brought up with reality economics in the universities? Well, this is a broader philosophical question, but, you know, I think that uh, uh, in the essence of it, I like to point out that uh, there's two very different kinds of knowledge. One is functional knowledge and the other is systemic knowledge. Mm -hmm. And functional knowledge is, you know, we drink a glass of milk, we don't know how it creates protein in our uh, muscle in our body, we just know that it does, or, and we learn that by tradition. And uh, in the same way, people are not really concerned with the systemic functioning of, of, uh, uh, of how economy, uh, the ecology of the economy really works, unless they're basically a philosopher, not many people are, mm -hmm. and so uh, people don't reflect on that kind of thing. And in fact, if you look back over the last few hundred years, this has only become more and more of an issue as more and more people have become uh, more affluent. I like to point out uh, this, that uh, the divisive terms of uh, Keynesian economics, monetarism, and Austrian economics leave everyone who hears them in the general public basically cold. Mm -hmm. They don't know what these different things mean. They don't know why they should pay attention to one or the other. Mm -hmm. But uh, and then they get into, when they start getting into it, you have to be able to follow more than one step of logic. Mm -hmm. And our culture really doesn't develop that. Mm. I mean, we, we actually, uh, we're a soundbite culture. Mm -hmm. We don't really go that way. Mm -hmm. the, but the essence of Austrian economics, reality economics, can be summed up into three incontrovertible statements. These cannot be debated because they are essentially and 100% true. One is that humans act, the second is that humans choose, and the third is that humans both agree and disagree. Now, the first two of those statements, and you can see how they can't be debated because mm -hmm. if you debate the humans act, mm -hmm. you're acting. If you debate the humans <laughs> choose, you're choosing. And if you uh, debate that humans both agree and disagree, then you're agreeing or disagreeing. <laughs> and, so, and so out of these three statements, and this was the brilliance of Ludwig von Mises, he started with humans act. And out of that, he, he basically, through deductive logic, helped people understand these essential 
aspects on the individual level. So you have to understand the individual level of humans as actors first, and then humans as interactors separate and mm-hmm. second. So as humans act, uh, there's this whole brilliant understanding that comes out of Austrian economics and the literature that's available there, and it's brilliantly outlined that why do we act? Well, as Mises said, we act because of a natural drive to remove boundaries, mm-hmm. or as he put it, to remove feelings of uneasiness. Mm-hmm. Now, other people might phrase it in a positive way, a natural drive for greater happiness. But that is why we act. That is why we choose. And we're always in that kind of motion. But And I won't go into detail here because this gets into a, a more lengthy conversation, and it's very, very rich. But this brings up two additional questions. How do we, how do we choose and what do we choose? And there is a very rich understanding that people can get uh, educated on basically for free via Tom Woods at Liberty Classroom or Mises Academy or many other outlets that are available, but these are, I would say, the core uh, better uh, uh, sources for understanding this. And they basically boil down to the following. There is a understanding of time preference, marginal utility, determination of value, and subjective knowledge, and subjectively how we speculate on risk and uncertainty. Now, I can tell that you know those are uh, those seem like very meaty you know statements, but they're really very very simple. We choose based on whether we want something um, now or later. Most of the time, it's now or sooner than later. Mm-hmm. We have a priority of how we uh, uh, assign different things. We determine the value of something by ourselves. It isn't based on how much you tell me I should pay for that pen or that necktie or that car. It's what I think it's worth. Mm-hmm. That's the subjective determination of value. And there's this other thing about subjectively understanding and assessing risk. This is a very individual uh, activity that each of us do every single day. In other words, I'd like to point out all of us are natural economists. Mm-hmm. People said to me, I don't understand economics. I said, that's silly. <laughs> you, under, you understand economics every time you go to the sock drawer and you know tomorrow's laundry day. Yeah. Or you go to the grocery store or, or your refrigerator and you say, well, I have to get some eggs or milk. Or, or I'm, in, I'm in a hurry to get to the, uh, uh, the office or wherever because I have only so many minutes left. That is economics on the individual level. Mm-hmm. On the transactional level, then we get into the whole thing of property, money, you know, rule of law, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Well, those uh, are very important issues for sure. And uh, with respect to uh, property rights, we've talked about property rights recently on this show frequently. We've had Alana Mercer with us um, a few weeks back, and uh, she talked about uh, her book, Into uh, the Cannibal's Pot. She talked about how actually uh, people's safety uh, have uh, the safety of, of individuals living in South Africa, whether they're white or black, uh, has deteriorated very significantly, and she laid that right to a demolition of property rights. Uh, would you see a connection to that? Absolutely, I see a one-to-one connection in that. I'd say, uh, you know, all rights 
uh, really are derived from property rights. I own myself, I own my time, I own my breath, I own my efforts, I own the fruits of my action, and comes with that, of course, the consequences of my actions. There's the personal responsibility aspect of that whole thing. And uh, interference with property rights is uh, obviously the biggest problem that we've got. And uh, I'll jump ahead here, but the, the real solution that uh, we have to move toward is, as Hans Hermann Hoppe has so brilliantly stated, is to privatize everything. Mm-hmm. And so we could go more into that well, vein. Well, certainly that would then uh, would reduce uh, the government's role in our lives, I would think. You know, it was interesting. Uh, one time I was talking to Ron Paul, and I related a, a personal uh, experience. Um, our son, Scott, uh, had a roommate uh, at St. John's College in Annapolis uh, who was somewhat left of, uh, of Karl Marx when I first met him, but then he became one of Ron Paul's very ardent supporters. Um, and um, and I mentioned that to Ron, and he said, well, I think what happens is when you remove government, you basically bring people together uh, because you allow them to interact according to their own needs uh, more freely. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. One of the things I, I like to point out uh, is that we need rules, we need laws, we don't necessarily need government to create, arbitrate, or enforce them. And I did a show on Radio Free Market a couple of years ago with uh, Tom DiLorenzo, and it was called Stateless But Not Lawless. And it's still available for anyone that would like to Google it for free mm-hmm. download. And uh, that particular show focused on the Old West, which was not wild, by the way. Mm-hmm. There were uh, rules, laws that were set up by wagon trains, mining camps, uh, cattlemen associations, and so on and so forth. And, uh, and in fact, the wildness of the Old West really arrived when the government arrived. Mm-hmm. And that is actually a, a very, very telling um, uh, story. In fact, uh, we did the show based on an essay that Tom had written that's published at the Independent Institute. Mm-hmm. And people can still find that there, and I recommend that that essay. That, in my opinion, is probably one of the most important uh, shows that we ever did at Radio Free Market. Radio Free Market is at RadioFreeMarket.com. Yes, it is. Okay, and people, uh, and and you're on there on a regular basis. Well, we actually are changing the format of the show right now. We're making it more. Um, uh, we're changing it. I uh, I have had to focus uh, my attention on other things lately, mm-hmm. uh, but I have assembled a, a number of excellent people that uh, are contributing to Radio Free Market. We are looking for other uh, goods contributors for Radio Free Market so that we can uh, present uh, these principles of pre. Peace, prosperity, and freedom to people. Mm-hmm. You, in your bio, you talk about, or we just the bio that I just read. We talked about uh, your belief that ethics are at the core of cooperation. Um, if I understood that right, is that is that your your view? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, I'm fond of saying that 90 percent of the world's problems could be solved by good manners. Mm-hmm. And I mean. Uh, if we look at the problems that we see around the world, there's this, uh, there's a duality in our thinking where 
we think we have to have good manners uh, at the dinner table and, uh, you know, basically here and on the uh, local level. But there's this schizophrenia in our psychology where we don't see it as stealing when people vote to take money out of other people's pockets. Mm-hmm. And we don't see it that way. We uh, There's this mass cognitive dissonance and it's a very large shift in consciousness that I see that is required in order for us to really make a big big move but I'm very optimistic about that mm-hmm. I'd like to point out to people that 300 years ago people could not envision a world that was not in some way centrally controlled by religion mm-hmm. where church and state were absolutely fixed mm-hmm. now here in America that is completely not the case anymore it's mm-hmm. not our in our psychology we assume that it is appropriate that church and state should be separate so I ask people to do this little mind game of what would the world look like if we had a separation of money in state banking in state education in state etc cetera, etc cetera. And we see this in that whole trend that is typified by that statement by Dr. Hoppe of privatizing everything. Mm -hmm. I was told recently that in the state of Indiana, all the road grading is actually done by private firms. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very cool because what is happening there is that there's a psychological shift of throughout that particular state of uh, that particular function, which is in my local area here in Iowa, is done by government, is done by by private firms. Now, I don't know the uh, the results of that particular thing, uh, but I do see a growing trend toward privatization. And, you know, the punchline is, is that it's going to continue for one basic reason. Governments are basically bankrupt. Mm-hmm. And so they have to unload a, a lot of this uh, these functions that they are doing, they have to go to private uh, uh, privatization, and I think that is the trend that I would uh, that I'm very very happy to see. Mm-hmm. Well, doesn't privatization a lot of times though just mean that you have corporations that are in bed with government and and acting together rather than in a free market? Well, that's not privatization in the real sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, people people don't understand. Uh, they they mix up capitalism and business. And uh, I noticed that you uh, like to use that word, crapitalism. Yeah, well, it's, capitalism. We give the yeah. credit to Gene Epstein uh, of Barron's, who's been on this show and, and uh, figures to be on this show on a regular basis. And he says it's his definition of crony capitalism. He just simply sure. calls it crapitalism. Well, if people understood that real capitalism is that is the uh, the businesses that really do not get any advantage whatsoever from from government. In other words, they don't get a license or subsidy or tariff or cartelization of any mm-hmm. kind of protection that gives them an advantage over other people. And uh, unfortunately, if you look at various different businesses today, whether they're uh, interior decorators or, or barbers or uh, any, just about, um, well, a, a very large uh, number of, of industries have decided, you know what, cartelization is good. We're going to go that direction. Mm-hmm. So funeral directors do that. And that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm a big supporter of the Institute of Justice in Washington, IJ.org, for people mm-hmm. who have never heard of them. Mm-hmm. And um, because they protect people's right to actually have a living. 
they you know sign makers in various cities in Minnesota, uh, uh, coffin makers, uh, some monks down in Louisiana that make coffins that didn't want to get a funeral director's license, and you just want to make coffins because that's what they do, or women that uh, come from Africa that understand how to do this particular kind of uh, um, weaving of the hair uh, have been prohibited by these cartels uh, to just engage in their their day-to-day activity, their day-to-day economic activity, and told, no, I'm sorry, you have to go back to school and become a cosmetologist when they don't even teach how to uh, whatever that's called, uh, uh, that kind of weaving at uh, cosmetology schools. Mm-hmm. It isn't even required. And so I think that what we're going to see is that people are, are starting to recognize that one of the primary aspects of government is how it prohibits a market to be free. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend Yuri Moltsev likes to point out that this is really how uh, Nazi Germany differed in its uh, socialism from uh, Soviet Russia. Mm-hmm. The Soviet Russia, they just declared that there are no property rights. Nobody really has any property rights. Mm-hmm. And uh, the state owns everything. But in Germany, they were more subtle. Mm-hmm. They said, well, you ostensibly have your property rights, but we're going to restrict you and we're going to regulate you mm-hmm. to the point to where you really can't do with your property as you really would like to do. Right. And that includes even engage in different economic activities. That kind of uh, Nazi uh, Germany-style socialism is what we have here mm-hmm. in the United States. And the toxic aspect of that is that it grows under our feet and people don't really understand mm-hmm. how it is choking out uh, the free market. Mm-hmm. We uh, we actually, uh, here in Iowa, people uh, can see greater prosperity. They can see we have air conditioning. We have, you know, Internet. We have, you know, more uh, choices in many ways than we ever, ever had before. Mm-hmm. But one place that we can see that our choices are shrinking dramatically is in what kind of work we want to do. Mm-hmm. And in my, my favorite economic or uh, uh, investment book of all time is Harry Brown's Fail-Safe Investing. Mm-hmm. And for your readers who have never, or listeners who have never read it, I highly recommend it. And one of the key points that Harry uh, points out there is that your number one asset is your job, mm-hmm. your productivity, your business. Well, if you can't engage in a job, then how can you develop that particular asset? That is the foundation of how uh, you as an individual or I as an individual are going to actually create wealth for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, we see this extended to uh, the workplace by minimum, uh, minimum wage laws, which make it very unattractive for a business to hire people. Uh, because uh, they have to hire them at a particular um, uh, minimum wage, which may be more than they're worth. And the net result of that is this massive unemployment that affects young people. Mm-hmm. So I see the world becoming very clear as to where we don't want to be. Mm-hmm. The challenge, I think, is making the world more clear as to where we want to go to. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you certainly, uh, before we went on the air, you were talking about manners, ethics, and you noted that uh, we certainly do observe them. Otherwise, we would have, you know, utter chaos everywhere. We can drive down the highways and, and things are fairly safe and we can do, you know, we do respect each other uh, to a great extent. Um, but if if ethics uh, is at the core of our well-being, then where does that come from? Where do good ethics come from and how do we how do we improve on them? Uh, is it just simply a matter of less government? And if so, how do we get people to understand uh, that to be the case, because if anything, people are looking to government always for their betterment, not to themselves. Right. There is a trend, uh, and this trend is pervasive, to uh, uh, look to a, uh, a government, uh, a higher body for everything. Mm-hmm. as a solution to all things, as opposed to the family unit and so on. It may seem trite to say the family has to start this. I actually think, uh, and I, I ponder this, how to write children's books mm-hmm. uh, that uh, would teach children these ABCs, that money is a thing. Mm-hmm. Money is property. We need people to actually start teaching their children these kinds of of basic rules and laws of how the world really works at a very, very early age. The other thing that uh, we have to understand is how we are actually controlled. I should, and I know this smacks of uh, conspiracy, but I don't really see uh, conspiracy theories. I see uh, the uh, spontaneous order of predators. Mm-hmm. I see how various different uh, elements of society uh, interface with one another in a spontaneous order of mutual advantage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the methods that they use that I see that are, uh, of course, uh, central to this entire process are definitions, stories, money, course of power, and, of course, the big one of all, fear. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, money and course of power, they point to property control mm-hmm. because uh, to the degree that central control, uh, course of power, uh, can regulate, what is the worst to- toxins, taxation or regulation? My, my particular uh, thesis is that it's regulation, mm-hmm. that you can have higher taxation and virtually and very little uh, regulation and you will see a greater uh, prosperity uh, uh, come about mm-hmm. because uh, new jobs can get created, new products can get created, new entrants can enter into the dynamic uh, workforce. Mm-hmm. But those that cooperate with defining, uh, changing definitions of things um, and changing the uh, stories, uh, again, going back to Tom DiLorenzo, a book that everyone should read is The Real Lincoln. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is a completely a paradigm-shifting book to understand that he is not Saint Lincoln, and there, that this is a this gentleman really uh, we can put at his feet many of the problems that we're facing today. Mm-hmm. And um, but definitions are very important, and so um, you know it's it's a I think from my my own view is that this kind of shift in consciousness and understanding is a multi-generational effort, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that it, it uh, is incumbent on each and every one of us to do as much as we possibly can do on the uh, family level, on the community level, on the friend level, 
to try to educate as many people as we possibly can touch and influence to uh, at least understand these basic principles. Mm-hmm. That was the motivation behind starting Radio Free Market three years ago. I, I wanted to just create a number of basic introductions to economics, uh, how uh, law and economics and history uh, and ethics were all tied together. And one of the things that we are doing right now is we're restructuring the, the website because, you know, we poured in volunteer time. And it's mm-hmm. been laborious because, you know, we have our, our families and our, our, our own uh, jobs and so on to try to maintain. Uh, and so the content is excellent. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I would like to improve it dramatically so that people can find the good content in there. Because we have Tom Woods has gotten mm-hmm. great lectures in there, Yuri Maltsev, uh, Lou Rockwell has been in there, Paul Prentice has some wonderful uh, lectures on morality and, uh, and economics, Mark Thornton from the Mises Institute, and many others. I mean, we've just been really blessed by uh, a wonderful array of of uh, uh, people who have contributed to that. Well, there certainly are a list of uh, libertarian uh, free market thinkers that you just named there, that's for sure. Well, if property is at the heart of um, of our morality, the respect for property rights, and I certainly, I certainly do buy that, uh, we have a confiscation of property through a, a very pernicious but not very well understood process of debasing our currencies. And... Um, and, and it seems to me that there's this notion that somehow we can get something for nothing um, if uh, if we just look to government. And I had a, you know, one of the pivotal people in my life was a, a Dr. Peyton Yoder at a small school called Heston College in Kansas where I went. 1967, Dr. Yoder uh, made some remarks that really caused my, my career to sort of take a different path long term. And that was, he saw a a correlation between the debasing of a currency and the work ethics and the morality of a nation. And I thought that was an interesting concept and sort of watched it take place with the the Vietnam War and socialism coming more and more into the United States, this notion that you could have something for nothing. Um, How do we, how do we get, so, you know, I guess people have to understand, first of all, they have to understand that money is property, as you say, and 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 sort of understand how their property is being stolen or being taken away through government's uh, gifts to to other people, uh, purchase of votes, I guess. Well, there's many ways in which we're uh, our property is being uh, taken from us, and you say a beautiful word that describes that perniciously. And uh, it's not merely by taxation; it's not merely by regulation. Mm-hmm. It's by subsidies. It's by tariffs. It's by uh, uh, and I would say probably the biggest of all, the ignorance of uh, the public as to some of the very basic ways in which uh, money works uh, at its root. That's why I wrote this very small book. It's called Secrets About Money That Put You at Risk. It's available. You, there's a link on my website at RadioFreeMarket.com where you can actually get the book for free. You can buy it on Amazon. Uh, as well, and that you're welcome to do so. Anybody that does, we pour the money right back into our efforts here. Uh, and it points out that there are four aspects about money that most people are not aware of. These are things that people should have learned in high school but never did. And they are fiat money, fractional reserve banking, legal tender laws, and inflation. 
And to understand those four basic aspects of money and how money works and how money works today, how it actually works in the system today, will provide people in probably a half an hour it takes to read this short book, uh, at least a foundation of understanding uh, these these, uh, core concepts. Um, I put a number of references in it which are designed to actually get people to read the more important works, the better and deeper works on this from Mises, Rothbard, and so on. And uh, they're all in that book, and I would refer people to that. You know, we're uh, we're basically out of time for this segment, and I'm wondering if you could come back um, perhaps on the other the other end of this hour today. Uh, to I'd like to ask you a couple more questions. We've talked so far, sort of in philosophical terms, and you know what has caused the problems that we have uh, to an extent. But you know, the world is what it is, and we would all like to make it better. We'd like to do what we can, our small part, to help things along for our children and our grandchildren. But it is what it is today, and so the question I'd like to ask you, when if you can come back and discuss it, is what do we do from here? How do we protect ourselves from here? And you also had some very interesting ideas that I'm aware of concerning Basel III and how really economics, the reality of economics, uh, real economics, starts to force its way, whether governments like it or not. And I'd like to sort of talk about what you see, a possibility of gold, making its way back into the monetary system and some signs that that may actually be starting to to take place. Could you come back uh, on the other side of the hour to talk to us some more about Sure, that? be happy be happy to. Wonderful. Uh that's that's really great news. Well, folks, don't go away because we're going to be right back in just a, a minute or two. We're going to be talking uh we're going to be talking to our next de- guest, Doug Weed. Uh, he was a senior advisor to uh, Ron Paul's campaign, and we'll ask him uh, what he thinks about the Ron Paul revolution. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Doug Weed. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the Duparquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. Prodigy Gold is transitioning from Gold Explorer to Mine Developer. We are well-funded. Located in stable eastern Canada, the Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year. Strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www.com. 
ProdigyGold.com and read more. Prodigy Gold, today's discovery, tomorrow's future. 